Tonight, we're continuing in our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. The theme of these lessons is on the topic of the ponderings of the preacher. And the preacher is King Solomon. And what he is pondering upon is the facts of life. Life as it really exists. And to try to give us some perception into what it means. The study of Ecclesiastes is humbling and rewarding. It is humbling because it is a complex and a challenging book. If you do not think so, it's only because you haven't spent enough time reading this book. This book has some thoughts within it that do require you to exercise your mind, to ponder, to think, to grasp the meanings that are found there. And yet at the same time, while it is challenging, it helps one to have a proper attitude toward this world and all that it offers. Is everything in this world bad? No. In fact, God created it. Is everything in this world good? No, because... The devil has corrupted it. And when you start looking at this life, it would be easy to become a cynic. That is the kind of person who looks at this world with such depressed eyes that everything appears to be bad. And Solomon acknowledges the world and its difficulties. At the same time, Solomon does point us to what God has given man to do. I would like to suggest to you that studying chapter 3 has some fascinating features to it. We're tonight going to look at three things. All three of these words come from the text. The first will be time. Solomon is going to talk about time. The second thing he will talk about, as Brother Dale read from verse 9, is the God-given task. What is it that God is wanting man to get from this? And then number three, the test that is found in verses 16 through 22. What if tonight I had arrived here and said, okay, I'm going to give you a test on what we studied together this morning. Number one, what was the topic? Number two, what was the lesson text? And you, I'm sure some of you are going through your mind right now. Let's see, what did he preach on this morning? Uh, what passage was read? You see, at the end of life, no, not at the end of life, in this life, there's a test. And Solomon mentions that. Let's begin, first of all, with verses 1 through 8. Solomon says, To everything there is a season... A time for every purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones 
and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to gain and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time of peace or a time of war and a time of peace. This is perhaps the most quoted section from the whole book of Ecclesiastes. And you would say, oh, I I think we quote chapter 12, verse 13 most often. That is perhaps true in the Lord's church. But if you will notice, this passage is found quoted by politicians. It's found quoted by writers. This is a very important passage. And what this passage is saying is that God created order. He created a plan. God's not arbitrary. Things do not just happen without intent and without purpose. Even in regard to some of the things that we might not think is being so important to us today, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 26, he starts talking about how the Lord's church was to practice the operation of the miraculous gifts. He says, let there be two or at the most three, and that in turn. And then he comes down to verse 33 and says that God is the order, order, author of order and not a confusion. You see, what we perceive out of God is He has created an order in this universe and an order in life. Notice with me a couple of verses throughout the rest of the book that's going to draw attention to this. Chapter 3, verse 17 will say, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time, or for there is a time, therefore, every purpose and for every work. There's a time for everything that needs to be done. Chapter 8, verse 6 says, Because for every matter there is a time and judgment, though the misery of man increases greatly. Everything has a time. That's the reason why when the writer of the book of Hebrews discusses this, he says very simply, And as it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this the judgment. I don't know how many times that in preaching a funeral I have mentioned the fact there are some appointments that all must keep. And one of them is death. Everyone. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul is talking about God's foreordained, predestined world, and he puts it like this, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, God had a plan. He had an order that he intended to be accomplished. And yet, we have to be careful. We do not read too much into this. 
because there are Calvinists. People that believe that everything that happens is predestinated, foreordained, as if God has already decided that I would be standing here in this pulpit this night saying these words. I remember having a good friend in high school who was a part of the Primitive Baptist Church. And they believed that every event had been preordained. In fact, I never will forget sitting in the lunchroom across from the table and he says, God has even foreordained that you're going to argue with me, you wretch. He believed that everything was planned. But you see, it, we've heard people say, well, it was his time to die. Really? As if God has a number that your number comes up, now it's time for you to die. Or God has a specific day. Listen carefully to chapter 7 and verse 17. Do not be overly wicked, nor be foolish. For why should you die before your time? Ah, I see something different there. Before your time would indicate the natural order of events. But you see, a person can be foolish, and they can lose their life. I can decide, hey, I want to drive on the left-hand side of the road going down the interstate and just see how long it will take before someone hits me. If I want to be that stupid and that foolish, I could die before a natural death would be ordinarily take place. Well, you see, that's what he's trying to before the time. The time that he is discussing is God's order. This also stresses the same cycle, if you will, discussed in chapter 1, verses 4 through 11, where he talked about things, for instance, as if the rain falls and it fills the rivers, the rivers flow to the ocean, and yet the ocean doesn't overflow because that rain comes back up and then is a part of a cycle. All of these things he's discussing involves a cycle of life. Like chapter 1, though, we have to ask the question, is there a meaning to this cycle? All these are normal cycles of this life. A time to be born and a time to die. All these things involve that. But now I want you to notice carefully something that I almost missed. I want you to notice carefully from what Solomon has been saying of that which is under the sun to verse 1 when he says, under heaven. That indicates that Solomon is saying, I understand that while these events are going on here on earth, God is in heaven having planned and brought this about. I've got to understand God made this world that way. And when I understand that, that will help me understand this book that he's talking about. So what's his conclusion? Make the best of it. Listen to Psalms 90, verses 10 through 12, also used in funerals quite often. The days of our life are 70 years. And if by reason of strength are 80 years. Yet they boast is only labor and sorrow. For it is soon cut off and we fly away. 
Who knows the power of your anger? For as the fear of you, so is your wrath. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Number your days, folks. If I know that there is a time to be born, and I know the cycle involves a time to die, and I know there's a time to gain, and I know there's a time to lose, I have to look at that cycle of life and make the best of it that God has given me. Listen to Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do you hear him say, redeem the time? But do you also hear him say, understand what the will of the Lord is? Or Colossians 4, verses 5 and 6. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside, redeeming the time. Let your speech always be with grace, seasoned with a little salt, that you may know how you ought to answer each one. Everybody should be careful about how they conduct this life because you only have so much, there's that word, time. Time. Let me move to the second part of Solomon's point here in this chapter. And that's found in verses 9 through 15. And if you'll read them with me again. What profit has the worker from that which he labors? I have seen the God-given task with which the sons of men are to be occupied. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out what God does from beginning to end. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that man, every man should eat and drink and enjoy, all the good, or enjoy good of all of his labor. It is the gift of God. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing can be taken from it. God does it, that men should fear before him. That which is has already been, and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of the past. Boy, those are some very powerful points within that passage there. Verse 10 speaks of the God-given task. One is a steward with everything God has blessed him with, including his time. And you have a God-given task to deal with it. But there are challenges. In chapter 11, he's going to describe three things that make it a challenge. Notice with me. God made everything beautiful in its time. When you look at this world, everything God has created in its specific time, when he intended it to be, how he intended it to be, it's beautiful. It's perfect. This world does have an attraction to it. 
To deny that is to fail to grasp one of the most important messages of the Bible. Sometimes people try to tell young people, oh, sin is so bad you'll never enjoy it. And then a child goes out and he sins. He says, hey, I thought that was pretty fun. The Bible talks about the passing pleasures of sin in Hebrews chapter 11. How that Moses chose to share ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Or as you read the American Standard of King James, for a season, for their time. They don't last. The second challenge is God put eternity in our hearts. Man yearns for what is to come. We think about the future. We've got an attraction to the present. We have got a yearning for the future. And these two don't always agree with one another. Let me ask you a question for yourself. Have you ever been faced with a challenge? Do I enjoy what I want to in today? Or do I look for something more important, more valuable in the future? Short-sighted people say, I'll enjoy what I can today because I don't know what will happen tomorrow. Long-sighted people say, the future's coming, and if I'm not prepared for it, things will be bad. Well, let me add the third challenge to it. And that he says, man does not understand the works of God from beginning to end. I don't always understand how God is involved in the affairs of this world. There's so much I don't know. And so I have this God-given task now to try to make the very best of what I have been given. And Solomon says the best thing to do is do good. How will one respond to the task where God knows it all, but we do not know it all? Well, in verses 12 and 13, he says, enjoy the life given by God. The food you're given, the, the drink that you're given, enjoy that. That's a fruit of your labor. But he says, I know that whatever God does, he does it forever. Man can't add to it and man can't take away from it. So if I can't add to it and I can't take away from it, then I have to respect it. If I knew that everything that God was doing, I can't change it. I want you to listen to Paul as he looks at the Romans or looks at the Gentiles in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verses 29 and 33. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. God doesn't change. You get to verse 33. Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Paul says, I step back and I'm amazed about how God worked everything out. But he did in time. Everything sequentially happens as God intends for it to. The cycle has and will continue. God has judged the past. Because he says, what has been is what will be. What is is what will be. They're all in the past, and God's judged the past. Every man is going to be giving account 
for who he is. That leads me to the third part of Solomon's message, and that is the test. Look with me at verses 16 through 22. Moreover, I saw unto the sun, let me back up and read that phrase again. Moreover, I saw under the sun in the place of judgment, wickedness was there. And in the place of righteousness, iniquity was there. I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. I said in my heart, concerning the conditions of the sons of men, God test them that they may see themselves, that they themselves are like animals. Let that soak in for just a second before we keep reading. God tests them that they may see themselves are like animals. For what happens to the sons of men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them, as one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over, the anim- over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and all return to the dust. Who knows the spirits of the sons of men, which go upward, and the spirit of the animal which goes down to the earth. So I perceived that nothing is better than a man should rejoice in his own works, for that is his heritage. For who can bring him to see what will happen after him? He says, I saw in verse 16. Verses 17 and 18, he says... I said in my heart, if you see something and then you talk to yourself, you say it in your heart, you're pondering it. What's this world all about? Why did God make it this way? To test us. To see how we will react to it. Verse 18, God tests men. How does he test me? Well, first of all, verse 16 says, wickedness exists in the world. I look for righteousness. What did I see? I saw iniquity. How many times have you looked around trying to find the good in men and you see the bad? You turn the television on. Sure could use some good news today. And what are you going to hear? Somebody else was killed. Somebody else stole something. You're only hearing bad news. Bad news seems to travel very quickly. Verse 17, he says, God will judge it. How will man react to it? Verse 18. But then there's this issue of what happens to the sons of men. And so he is going to point out that man dies just like animals do. 
You know, you may have a favorite pet. That pet gets old. And that pet dies. Many of us have lost pets we've had a close um, attraction to. Sometimes you see animals die needless, painful deaths. Sometimes they die at the hands of other animals. But when they die, they're expired. People do the same thing. You look at verse 20. The body, just like the animals, has one breath and goes to one place. And he explains that means back to the dust. That's exactly what the scriptures teach elsewhere. Man's from dust, and to dust he shall return. But there's a distinction here, and don't pass over it. He says man's spirit goes upward while the animal goes downward. That's the reason why chapter 12, verse 7 says, The dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return to God who gave it. Well, there is a difference between a man and an animal. The spirit of man goes back to God. Hence, he says, nothing is better than to focus on your own works. And the truth is, I'm the only one who can take the test for me. I can't take the test for you. If we could take tests for one another, we'd all go hire the smart people to take the test for us, and we'd all get the good grades. But the truth is, when you go to school, the teacher is wanting to measure what you know. We get to the end of time, it's going to be God measuring whether we have been righteous or wicked. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Each man is granted time, a task, and a test. Each man must face the challenges of his place in time. And life is not going to be perfect. And Solomon wants us to recognize that. But I must concentrate on being good myself. And on my own righteousness. Ezekiel 18.20 says, The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father shall bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. One more verse. 1 John 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And in reality, when you get to the end of all of what Solomon has said, you come back, here I stand before God. Will I pass the test or not? Tonight, we're going to sing this invitation song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? And if you need to respond to the Lord's invitation to become a Christian, or you need to respond to be restored, what a privilege God has extended you that you have enough time to take care of that Would you do that as we stand together and say?